This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello, and welcome to the East Lansing Insider, a news podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info in collaboration with 89FM The Impact. My name is Andrew Graham. I am a reporter with East Lansing Info, and I'm here today with our executive director and publisher, Alice Drager. Alice, how are you doing? Good, Andrew. It was fun being at City Council with you this week. It is. It's been weird being back in person, frankly. It feels alien. Um, We are here today, speaking of council, to talk about the voters' concerns in the upcoming election and to give you an idea of how we got this list and the the issues we're going to go through, we put out a survey, which you can find at eastlansinginfo.news. Click on the elections tab on the right and go to our voter guide. You'll find it in there and you can submit what's important to you in this upcoming election. So Alice and I in the next half hour or so are just going to go through some of the things that people have submitted about what they're concerned about and discuss them a little further. So I think without further ado, we're ready to get into it. Yeah. And one reason we want to encourage you to do this is because this will actually inform our reporting as well as inform the candidate forum that's going to be put together by the League of Women Voters. There's also going to be some debates put together by the students of ASMSU. And we're sharing the data set with them so that they can see what people have sent in in terms of concerns and questions. So you can directly impact how those forums and debates happen. You can impact our reporting by taking that survey and sharing with us your ideas. So yeah, take it away, Andrew. Awesome. So we're going to open with a, a very full one. So this is from a, from a reader. Whether candidates understand how the city government works, its relevant history, formal procedures, finances, divisions of government. Some of the candidates seem to have lots of good intentions, but little knowledge. We literally can't afford to have such inexperienced councils. Whether candidates are willing to act to change who fills the roles of city manager and city attorney if the jobs they are doing are seriously inadequate whether they are going to do something about the spiraling pension debt, whether they understand the history of racially biased policing in East Lansing and are prepared to undertake meaningful reforms. So that is one set of concerns from one voter. So Alice, I I think you probably have some some thoughts about that. Yeah, this, this was a really interesting one to both of us because one of the things it names is sort of whether or not a candidate knows how council is supposed to run according to the city charter, according to state law, according to Robert's Rules of Order. What we've seen is because there's been so much turnover in the East Lansing City Council, we have a fairly um, green group of people. I don't mean environmentally green. I mean new to this process. And the consequence of that is that council has been somewhat rocky in the way it's been running. So this person must be watching council and seeing some of that and seeing that as a concern. But going beyond that, this person also raises the question of the two things the city council has the power to do in terms of employment. That is um, hiring and firing the city manager and hiring and firing the city attorney, which has been the city attorney in particular has been an issue in the last year. So it's interesting that they would raise that. And then the spiraling pension debt, this is something I reported recently for Eli, that in spite of East Lansing's new income tax being instituted The pension debt is continuing to grow. The pension debt has now hit an unfunded amount of $100 million. Uh, And then whether they understand the history of racially biased policing, this is something we've also been covering at East Lansing Info, the data that suggests that Black people are stopped, arrested, and uh, made subject to use of force more often by ELPD officers, far more often than is representative of the general population. So a lot packed into that one. 
seems like they are very informed in their concerns. They have a lot to, I would imagine this person has a lot of evidence to back up their various concerns and why they, why they matter to them. And I definitely, I really agree with you on the, the council, not that any of it is not to malign any of the current members of council. They're all very good public servants, but it is hard. It's a very different role from being in sort of a new job at a business. It's sort of, it's this weird function and it really does have this you sort of have to have the nous for it, and it takes time. Mark Meadows, after his many years, was was very efficient at it, and I think we it's kind of stark after that. Yeah, there's been a real fall off of knowledge and how all of that works. And you know, we saw this week at City Council. You know, they're voting through on the consent agenda a million dollars here and a million dollars there, and there's a question of whether or not they understand sort of what's in that decision that's being made and are the decisions being made in ways that are uh, make sense and are fully informed. So that's an interesting issue to bring up. Gotcha. I believe you're up for the next one. Yeah. So we were, we were talking about also, there's a group of these answers um, from many different people talking about taxes and so tired of being taxed, which is interesting because East Lansing politically is a very blue town. It leans very far voting democratic when you look at state and national elections, the, the council elections are nonpartisan, so people are not identified by parties, but people tend to be uh, certainly left of center when they run for city council in East Lansing. But what we're hearing from a lot of people, including people left of center, is that they're tired of being taxed. And so that came up. Someone said, get our finances in line. I'm not going to pay this income tax forever. <laughs> which is true if the voters don't renew it. It expires in about 10 years. It's supposed to be helping with the pensions and other costs. Another person wrote high taxes, high water rates, which Andrew, you uh, reported on for us that water rates have doubled in the last 10 years. Uh, another person said changing the pensions so they don't bankrupt the city. What else do we see references to here, Andrew, do you think? Uh, there's There's quite a few different things. I believe there was... There was another reference to the income tax, and I think a lot of it relates to the income tax mainly because that's a recent addition, and it ties into, as you mentioned, with the pensions of, I think, and this was just my layman's analysis, that if it was paying into the pensions, if the taxes were being used and very clearly chipping away at what they were intended for, I think people might have a different opinion of them in a similar vein the city is waiting for a court result or ruling in their case, the class action suit regarding the BWL franchise fee, which effectively amounts to it has been charged that the city is effectively using the franchise fees and an illegal tax and that it's levied this, this tax unlawfully. And there's very clear and strict parameters about how a municipality can levy a tax. Yeah, so in two thousand in two thousand seventeen, right, our city council voted to uh, add five percent to the bills of everybody who's a BWL customer in East Lansing, and basically the money just goes right back to the city of East Lansing. And Mark Meadows has talked about using that money for the pensions, which, uh, according to the people who brought the suit, is not appropriate under state law and can't be done. So that case, I think, is going to be really interesting. If if the city of East Lansing loses that one, that's going to be a lot of money. It's over a million dollars a year currently coming into the city. That's going to be an issue. So there is the they income would tax. Potentially, they'd, be t- they'd also potentially be liable to pay back, I think, up to the last 12 months of it, too. Yeah, it's not clear to me exactly how much they would have to pay back, but that's a lot of money to pay that's, back, too. I think there is a potential for that, though, yeah. 
So we've got the BWL franchise fee, we've got the income tax, and we've got the increase of water rates. People are feeling the pinch in East Lansing, and we're hearing that from people definitely who definitely are responding theme. to the survey. Cool. You want to read us another one, Andrew? I'll take the next one. This one, is, this one actually was very fascinating to us. It's, I'm interested in candidates who promote green spaces over development, also candidates who are serious about debt reduction and commit to reducing or at least not expanding the city payroll and budget. Finally, public safety and supporting our police force is critical. And the reason this one stood out to us is you don't expect, and I don't think we've seen it in many of our other answers, green spaces with support the police, that, at least in my head, is a little incongruous. But clearly these, these things matter to some people, and the same theme as above, the debt reduction and not just pumping more money into city payroll and really being mindful about where they're spending their pennies, nickels, and dimes. I think this is one of the reasons why reporting in East Lansing turns out to be so interesting. You know, when I founded East Lansing Info oh, yeah. seven years ago, I don't think I had any appreciation of the deep political diversity that actually exists in East Lansing. But this kind of response really shows us that kind of political diversity that's out there in terms of these combinations for this person of wanting green space, sounding like they're kind of anti-development, also wanting debt reduction, and also wanting to make sure that we have a system where we support our police force. Really interesting in terms of those combination of issues. And just to remind folks, East Lansing Info is a nonpartisan news organization, so we don't take positions on things. We just try to bring forward information as we can. So then we had lots of housing questions coming at us. So these are a couple of quotes. Quote, how are all the housing and rental changes going to be navigated in the next five years? Unquote. Quote, what are your plans for increasing the amount of housing in East Lansing? Unquote. And then somebody else who said, will you do everything you can to support the continuation of rental overlay districts? Unquote. Which are basically districts that restrict houses from turning into rentals. Talk a little bit with us about this, Andrew. So the housing study, obviously, is the first thing that comes to my mind. That's a very notable thing that's happened in the last year and sort of been on the mind. The the increasing housing is fascinating to me too, because I know the reality that's been explained to people at least or or discussed at the levels of government commissions is that there's this sort of bubble or burgeoning excess of student housing. So I'm wondering if that that voter or potential voter is, and I, I would think along similar lines, is that it's the sort of housing that's affordable for somebody entering who's not a student, not, you know, an established professional, somebody who's 27 and, you know, needs a two bedroom ranch house or something. It's like, how can you expand on that kind of thing? And I think the the rental overlay, I believe there's a state law potentially coming that would get rid of them, if I'm not mistaken. I don't follow state politics that closely myself. Yeah. So this is kind of interesting. The This is not motivated by trying to specifically screw East Lansing. It is instead <laughs> motivated by um, people who want the ability to rent out their vacation houses on mostly on the coast of Lake Michigan, who have been stopped by the year rounders in those towns who don't want noisy renters being next to them. So that's kind of fascinating because it's not different from the East Lansing issue of why rental restrictions were put in place, which was homeowners getting upset that their neighborhoods were turning into loud party zones with lots of rentals. But what's happened is that there's been this movement at the state to try to make it so that local governments cannot stop people basically from renting properties in various ways. And if that passes, it's not clear that it will. It's stalled right now, as is almost everything in the legislature right now, because it's summer 
uh, if that passes, it could potentially get rid of the rental restriction system in East Lansing, that is the rental overlay restrictions. And in that case, it could have serious impact on uh, what happens in East Lansing in terms of properties potentially becoming available for rental. But as Andrew mentioned, the market here is changing rapidly because there has been so much building of new student housing that it is, we are absolutely seeing a change in the market. There is no question. We are seeing houses that are vacant that would normally be rented to students year a year in advance. We are seeing lower rental rates in the large apartment buildings. So folks are expressing concern, not just about the rental overlay districts, but also expressing concerns about the issue of um, the fear of a bubble of housing and what it might mean to various neighborhoods. Just the state legislature hasn't gotten along with the the bill to let people rent out summer houses because they're all up at their summer houses. <laughs> That's right. Everybody's up north. Came to, came to mind. Um, we also had, this one fascinated me and I pointed it out. Uh, climate change came up a bunch. We had the green spaces earlier. And I'll read the quote here. It's, what do you understand to be the role of local governments to proactively respond to the climate emergency, particularly in regards to the restoration and conservation of green spaces and wildlife habitat? How does this vision fit into your strengths and experience as a civil servant? And so I thought that was fascinating. And they hit on what I was curious about is not necessarily, is it a yes or no proposition? Do you need to take action on this? But what action could you take and what action should we take as a local government, as a city government? And I think that fascinates me because I'm I'm not an expert and I'm not going to pretend I'm a scientist or an engineer here, but I'm sure there are measures and things the city can do. There's some infrastructure work. I know they're upsizing a lot of the sewers right now. That ultimately is important infrastructure work in terms of stormwater drainage and just the reality that there will be more, more rainfall and more stormwater in the next 50 years, most likely. But beyond that, I struggle to at least myself conceptualize what might be done, but I thought that was an interesting way of asking that question of not should we, but how actually can we go about dealing with this? And this is something we've struggled with at Eli as we've worked on bringing climate reporting is the question of what does climate reporting look like at a local news level? You know, we don't have interest in just telling people nationally and internationally what's happening. That's not our beat. Our beat is local. So one of the things that I think about when I think about what local governments can do is the question of trees and um, how many trees are being cut down, how many planted. Recently, Brooklyn Pepo brought us at Eli a nice report about where does the city sort of stand in terms of trees? And one of the things we discovered is that East Lansing has actually cut down more trees than it has planted in the last couple of years, which is interesting because it considers itself a tree city. And in terms of the biomass cut down and not replanted, it's enormous because when the city cuts down a mature 100-year-old tree, it's a big tree. When they plant a right. new tree, it's typically a tiny tree that's going to be a street tree that is never going to bother the sewer because they're build, they're putting in a small species to make sure it never does grow big. So that's something that I think might become an issue in the future is the issue of the trees. But it, you're right, Andrew. It was interesting to hear this person ask, how does this fit into your your strengths and weaknesses or your strengths and experience as a civil servant, because they're asking not just how do you feel about what the city should do with climate change, but do you have the experience to bring it to bear? Like, can you make it happen? So that was really interesting because, again, this issue of experience is coming up for a lot of the people writing into us. And I think for something like local government's response to the climate crisis and, and the, the whatever challenges that presents locally are the sorts of things that you need 
creative local solutions too. There's not some big band-aid. I mean, money, I suppose, would be the big band-aid, but something creative, something that fits for East Lansing, that works in East Lansing, is what's probably going to work best. And I can't say I I have that vision today. So, mm. so do you want to want to get to the next one? Sure. It seems so like right this... right in your wheelhouse. <laughs> Yeah, this is somebody who asked, where do they, meaning the candidates, where do they stand on all of the new growth and building going on in town? And uh, this is an interesting question. You know, people have very different feelings about the growth that's going on in East Lansing, not just downtown, but on the edges of town. Some people feel that it's a very good positive thing because it's creating more housing, potentially creating more businesses, certainly contributing to the tax base. But some people are not happy with it because they are nostalgic for an older East Lansing, or they're not happy with it because of the way that tax increment financing has been used to basically support um, corporate development without that money coming back into the general fund and supporting the tax base, which means that a lot of this new development is actually being supported in terms of structural services by homeowners in East Lansing who are in fact paying into the tax base. So it creates this tension. um, And I think there is real tension around it. And related to that, one person said that a concern for them is transparency around infrastructure and downtown development and the code, meaning the zoning code. So certainly people have concerns in various ways about how these decisions are being made, who's making the decision, and how the codes are playing out. So that will be quite interesting to see in the future. Sorry, go ahead, Andrew. I think you're right in that the the TIF kind of gets the underlying point about who's footing the bill. Because I think it's, it's... It can be, the issue is certainly prevalent when it's, I like East Lansing, how it was 20 years ago, I think, or versus this development is good. But that baseline of the TIF being used to pay for it and understanding of TIF is that the idea is it's used to fund things that will effectively bring that money back into the community or do some public good, um, which is vague, admittedly. But it's it's sort of who like if you don't feel that benefit personally i can understand why you wouldn't love all this development going on yeah tiff is pretty complicated but yes it does basically have a concept of trickle down economics which is if you take the additional tax income that comes from a redevelopment and you put it back into the redevelopment you can build it and then you can have more jobs and you can have income tax coming off. And so all of those other goods will come from it. People who study this question, whether or not that actually happens in effect, what we do know, regardless of whether you think TIF is good or bad, is that millions and millions and millions of dollars a year are being diverted away from the general fund and away from other taxing authorities like CATA and LCC in order to basically pay for mostly downtown projects. So I think this could turn out to be an issue for some voters. I also think the other, uh, I have another point on this, if you don't mind. I think another sort of, it didn't come up in here, but I've I've heard many people speak about it in other contexts, is the downtown development also means construction downtown. And that's annoying. Like, it's just that simple. I don't (laughs) think anyone's going to, anyone's going to pretend otherwise. And, you know, the MSU FCU tower is going to be going up in the next couple months years if i'm not mistaken probably gonna take gonna gonna be a while but there's gonna be if you're building big buildings you're gonna be having construction equipment you're gonna be closing lanes from time to time i know there's a lot of the people 
I know, yeah, and I know a lot of people who were opposed to closing Abbott Road or Albert, excuse me, not Abbott, um, from Abbott to MAC. One of their reasons for opposition mainly was just that Abbott or Albert, gosh, excuse me, Albert had been closed for, I think, three summers in a row prior to this year because of mainly construction. And so that didn't come up specifically in here, but I have heard from some downtown business owners and council members and other residents. There's just if you're going to be building tall buildings, there's going to be construction going on and that's going to disrupt life some way or another. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, yet at the same time, one thing we've heard from people is how much they love some of the amenities that have come with the new development. So people are happy to exactly. have the Target. They're happy to have Barrio Tacos. They're happy to have the Graduate Hotel. They love the rooftop bar at the Graduate Hotel. So it's sort of, you know, it's There's a give and take. Tricky. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So this next person, this quote we pulled said, quote, City governance has gone from poor to worse. It seems that sometimes the council is less concerned with running the city and more interested in hearing themselves speak. <laughs> Andrew? <laughs> the heat. So not speaking whether I agree or not. Um, I think I, I watch, <laughs> I have watched my fair share of council meetings and my genuine impression of the five people currently on council at Shannon Draheim is that they're all there to serve their constituencies, serve the people of East Lansing, and to try and do the people's business in a fair and open way. Do they always land on their feet in that? No. But I think it's... <laughs> I have long joked with uh, Alice and some others that East Lansing is the city of, of well-intentioned people. But it... it I, it really truly is, and I'd say that kind of tongue in cheek, but I also do I do mean it truly in that I don't think anyone comes up and tries to be on city council in a city like East Lansing unless they actually want to effect change in a positive way, in their right. mind at least. And Andrew and I certainly are not interested in having council members who are interested in hearing themselves speak because we don't like very long meetings. No. <laughs> I will no, say the shorter support, the meetings, the better. We support this voter who's like, shut up already and move on the business. So. If we could have five Cal Calvin Coolidge's on the. Another person says, quote, fiscal responsibility and transparency is their concern and evidence of concrete plans on how to achieve both in the near future. So fiscal responsibility, we've talked about a little bit. Let's talk about transparency, Andrew. How transparency do we feel about is such a popular word. How do we word. feel about it? Yes. It, Eli, we love transparency. Um, it's always something I, you're, you're not really going to find too many politicians that are anti-transparency, I don't think. Um, it, it's just the, the evidence of concrete plans on how to achieve them is the point here. And that it's very easy to say we want to be upfront and transparent. And then it's a little more difficult when the moment comes to be transparent and involve somebody something unfortunate for you or someone or somebody else or an embarrassing moment or just that that uncomfortable bit of moment in the sunlight that's what transparency is really about yeah and that's so maybe tough that's hard <laughs> so it's it, it i think is the hard. evidence of concrete plans is what hits on it for me of of have a plan be be transparent about your plan 
and, and one thing we've talked about is active. potentially having a um we we a, a while back we had a zoom based eli um group brain share of people in the community thinking about ways that East Lansing could cut costs and increase revenues. And we shared that with the city. We're thinking of doing the same thing with regard to transparency and having an open Zoom forum where people can talk about ways that the city council could develop better transparency policies because a lot of the policies, I think, could use some fixing in that way. And that might help to some extent. But that said, maybe I could share here our weird thing of the week, which was... (laughs) We got back a response. I got back a response on a Freedom of Information Act request, and that's abbreviated FOIA for Freedom of Information Act. The FOIA request I put in wanting to understand this um, email address that I discovered, which is artspace at cityofeastlansing.com. Now, Artspace is the name of a nonprofit company in Minnesota that's been hired for $30,000 to look at feasibility of creating live work space for artists at low income for East Lansing. And I became fascinated that this special account had been created. So I FOIA'd sort of all I could find out about this account. And the city came back and told me things like they had no record of to whom the account forwards, but they were able to give me the names of to whom it forwards. And my favorite was they had no record of when the account was created, but as a courtesy, they were telling me the time and date that it, the date and the exact time, I was like 8.52 a.m. on this particular date that it had been created. So I wrote to the city manager with a copy to the city council and said, we're all fascinated here at Eli at how you could know exactly when this account was created if there's no record of it. So this, I think, speaks to some of the struggle the city of East Lansing has with the concept of record under the law um, and these kinds of things. And it, it creates this sort of weirdness where, you know, in theory, they say they're following transparency. In practice, we get back a lot of weird responses that suggest that things that probably should be released to us under our requests are not being released to us. So we'll see where we go from that. So what else did we get in the grab bag there, Andrew, speaking of weird things? <laughs> so this points out truism about, I think, elections that we sometimes forget as we talk about all these big, broad issues that lots of people write in about. And then I, I see this, which cuts through, and it's speeding on Abbott Road, and they talked more about it. But this it just goes to reflect. Issue. This is their issue. Their issue is speeding on Abbott Road. They are wanting something to be done about people speeding on Abbott Road. And it just goes to point out that those single-issue voters are out there, and the single issue is not always this big, you know, how are you spending my tax dollars? It's It's... Often, and probably, I'm going to pretend I have polling data, but I would think more often single-issue type things are things that are very direct and very, very likely impact the person in a very noticeable and regular way. So somebody driving too fast or people repeatedly speeding down a road near you, if that upsets you, I could see you voting (laughs) for the candidates who said they'd do something about it. That uh, that makes sense. All politics are local. All politics are local. That is right. Anybody speeding on on your street, Alice? (laughs) (laughs) Not today. My issue is noise. My issue is noise. So we just want to remind people that the election is November 2nd. There are uh, two seats open on the four-year term and one seat open on the two-year term. East Lansing has a voter, East Lansing Info has a voter guide up that's a nonpartisan voter guide. Go to eastlansinginfo.news 
click on elections and you'll find our voter guide. And that is also where you can take this awesome survey and uh, give us direct feedback, what questions you would like asked of the candidates and what the big issues are for you. And we will share those with the League of Women Voters as they prepare their forum and with ASMSU as they prepare their debates. And we want to have that feedback from you without a question. Um, Andrew reported for us this week that this is the only item on the ballot on November 2nd, city council elections is it, which means the city of East Lansing is going to have to pay for the election because there's no state or federal um, election this time. And that means it's going to cost somewhere upwards of $80,000. And as Andrew reported, it also means your vote's going to matter more because frankly, the only people who are going to bother to vote are people who are interested in the city council election. We know that the last city council election was very close, just two votes divided Mark Meadows and Eric Altman. So, and a recount could have reversed that. So your vote does matter. Vote always matters. There's a South Park episode about that, but I won't get too much into it. We are, uh, Coming up on the end of the time here, Alice, thank you for joining me. I got to say, take the survey on eastlansinginfo.news if you can. You send us enough of these, we might just do another one of these episodes before the election. This was the East Lansing Insider brought to you by East Lansing Info in partnership with 89FM The Impact. Thank you for listening. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.